What's it like to grow up in the suburbs of Las Vegas? How do you keep yourself motivated when you're on an alternate list? Hear from first-year student Chance, who talks about some interesting adventures while serving his mission in Argentina and tips on dealing with burnout, all here at the University of Utah School of Medicine. Welcome to another edition of Talking You and Med Student Life. I have a fantastic guest today, Chance. How are you doing? Doing great. How are you doing, Dr. Chance? Doing well. All right, Chance, why don't you just introduce yourself a little bit? What year are you in school and where, what, what are you studying right now? Okay, I'm a, I'm a first-year medical student, brand new. Um, we're approaching the end, I guess, of our first year, so going into my second year. Um, yeah, it's been exciting. Mostly a, a Zoom medical school experience, uh, but it's been a fun first year. Excellent, Chance. We're going to dive more into your first year in the middle of a pandemic through mostly Zoom because I'm just I'm really fascinated to get your perspective. But let's jump into the Dr. Chan time machine. Okay, so when did you know you wanted to go to med school? When? How did that arise from you? Was it like a and a one event or was it a series of events? Like when did you decide to become a doctor? I would say it was, it was more of a, a combination of a lot of life experiences and things leading up to that decision. I, I always knew that, I mean, I was always fascinated by sciences. So I, you know, in high school, I was in a robotics class and I did the science Olympiad competition and I had, I did all the ropes. I was also a football player and baseball player. So I kind of covered a lot of ground kind of try to figure out what I liked and what I wanted to do. Um, but I, I was always interested in medicine, um, always interested in science. Um, no one in my family had, had ever, you know, graduated from college or been into the healthcare field. So I was kind of a pioneer in that aspect. Um, but I knew I wanted to do more schooling. Um, when I was in college, that's when I kind of got more exposure to um, the medical field through, you know, like the clubs, and the interest groups and the guest speakers. And I started to form more relationships with people who, you know, through shadowing with doctors. And I was just, the first time I stepped in the OR, I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. And uh, I think that's when I, I got the bug and I knew I wanted to go into medicine. That's beautiful chance. And, and where did you grow up? So I grew up in Las Vegas, Nevada, um, sunny Las Vegas. Um, Vegas, baby, Vegas. Vegas. Let's, let's talk <laughs> yeah, about well, what's it like to grow up in Vegas. Yeah, they say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but I'm here in Utah, so I guess that's not entirely true. Okay, I made it out, but <laughs> so um, Vegas is hot. Uh, it's hot during the summers. Um, it's not. I don't think it's what everybody you know. But when you think of Las Vegas, when you tell people you're from Vegas, they think of the casinos and the strip and all that jazz. And when you, when you live there and you grow up there, you don't really go downtown that much. Uh, it's mostly suburbs. Uh, so I, I grew up kind of on the outskirts of like Northwest Las Vegas. Um, my dad, my dad was a masonry worker. He did construction. So I spent my summers growing up mostly working with him. And it was about 110, 115. Sometimes it gets to 120 degrees. So some hot summers doing some manual labor. That was, that was mostly my childhood. And a lot of other fun experiences, playing sports and and doing those things. It's nice, it's, even though it's that hot. You know, when when your friend has a swimming pool, it, it makes it a lot more bearable over the summer. So it's a good place. Sounds like the heat 
built character, right? That, that's what they say. Absolutely, <laughs> forged in the fire. Yeah, I, and you, and your high school, and you mentioned playing sports. Um, and what, what sports did you play, Chance? So I played football and I played baseball um, in high school. I kind of played everything when I was little. I, I always loved sports. It's always been a big interest of mine. And I'm trying to find a way to combine that with my passion for uh, medicine. So maybe maybe that's a future career path for me going into sports medicine. We'll see. But I was I love football. Um, I didn't play in college. I think I'm too small to to <laughs> make it any further than high school. But high school was fun. I love baseball too, and I played baseball in high school. Um, a lot of great experiences um, with teammates growing up and a lot of great lessons learned that I think actually really helped me on my path to medicine because medicine is a team sport. Mm-hmm. So I think I learned a lot that, that helped me just through playing sports growing up. Very true. Very true. And again, I'm just to go on a little tangent. Like if it's like 120 degrees, do they still play the games? I mean, did you ever have a game called off because of the heat or it's just you just kind of soldier on and still play? Oh, oh, it's normal. I mean, it's normal there. I, I remember we had two-a-days uh, over the summer. Uh, they call it Hell Week for football. And so you got your full pads on, and you're basically – you're not doing any contact. So you're not actually practicing. You're just conditioning. So they just make you throw on all your pads. It's 110, 120 degrees, and you just run until you puke. We've had a, we had a few players get taken off in ambulances, and they started to take it a little more easy on us. But, yeah, they, they made you run the hill. They made you do the stairs and the stadiums and the whole jazz. They didn't care how hot it was. Those coaches were hard on us. But I think it was good. It's like you said, it built character. <laughs> it's, it sounds like a different universe. Sounds like, sounds like Gatorade was an important uh, feature of all this, just to kind of stay cool and hydrated. And, and, yeah. All right. So, Chance, like, um, where did you go in undergrad? Where did you decide to go to undergrad? So, I went to BYU. Um, it was actually the only school I applied to. I wasn't sure that I wanted to go to college, which was weird because I, I guess I found out my school counselor in high school sat me down at the end of my sophomore year and they're like, okay, you're going into your junior year of high school. You got to start thinking about college. And like, and actually you have a 4.0, you have straight A's. So you probably will have a lot of options. And I was like, I, I guess I do have a 4.0. And that's when it kind of hit me like, oh, hey, I'm actually, I'm actually kind of qualified and I might actually do well in college. And so I, I kept that up and I ended up graduating valedictorian in my high school. And it was kind of on accident. And most of my friends were surprised. So when I gave my speech at graduation, most people were like, wait, chance. So uh, I was kind of that person that did well in school, but no one really thought that I took school seriously. And um, at my graduation speech, I think that's when it kind of hit me like, I'm going to go to college, I think I'm going to apply, I had a feeling that I knew BYU was was cheap and I knew it'd be a good school. I didn't have a lot of money to like, and I didn't know, I didn't want to take a chance of not getting like a scholarship or, so I, I worked with my dad to save up for that first year at BYU. And so I spent a year there and, and then I went and I, I served a mission and we might want to talk about that. I don't know if we're going to talk about that later, but I also went and served a mission for the, the church in Argentina for two years. And so I took a little break from, from college for that. Yeah. Let, yeah, let's talk about the mission. I hear you had some very unique and somewhat dangerous experiences on your mission. You want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I, I feel like this podcast is turning into like character building, like uh, all the all the experiences that that Chance had to go through to. You're build building character. character in the people who are listening to us, Chance. That's what we do. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I went to Argentina. It, it was called Neuquén, 
it's a it's a pretty big city it's not very well known it's in like southern argentina kind of on the western border near the andes mountains so when we when we talk about like the patagonia i know it's like a big brand here in utah everybody's got the patagonia jacket so that's where i was for two years are there penguins the there i'm sorry i digress are there penguins there, down there? there are there are penguins i did not get to see the penguins though it was kind of upsetting um so that's not like really down south like towards like the tip it's like touching like Antarctica down there. So that they, we, they didn't have parrots. So parrots, I got to eat goat. Um, a, lot of, a lot of interesting things that like uh, ostrich, would they, they run really fast. People would take their dogs and they'd like hunt the ostriches. Mm. And so that was, a, that was a fun experience. So I actually ended up eating ostrich too. It tastes like chicken pretty much. And the ostrich eggs, they're huge eggs. It's basically like a dozen eggs and just one egg. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's kind of not what you think. So I spent it, a lot of it is desert, and then a lot of it is like um, like mountain range. So I spent some time in the mountains where it was really cold, and I spent some time in the desert where it was really hot. But so some of the interesting experiences that I had there. So uh, I actually got robbed. So <laughs> uh, I got held at gunpoint, and they also uh, they also broke into our house uh, where we were staying. And so we came we came back from being out, and all of our stuff was gone. The window was broken into. Uh, so I basically, and that was about six months into the two years that I spent there. So for a year and a half, I, I kind of learned to survive with, because I basically just had the stuff that was on my back that I had on me. So I had those clothes and I didn't really, I had to like acquire more clothes and more things. They even stole my toothbrush and like a used toothbrush. And so I thought that was interesting. They must've really needed it. So that was fine. So but, you were, you were you were robbed at gunpoint and someone broke into your place. These are two separate events. Yeah. Yeah. No, there was multiple, there were multiple occasions of being robbed in the streets. One, there was one time where there was a gun. You just give them whatever, you don't carry a lot of money on you when you're in certain areas. So you kind of just give them whatever you have and, and they know that. And so they, I think they kind of took advantage of like knowing like, Hey, if we go rob these people, they're, they're just going to give us whatever. And so that, that happened a few times, but that, that one time where they broke it, they found out where we were living and broke into where we were living. And that was the scariest because when we first got back and when we went inside, we didn't, there was blood, I think, from them breaking into the windows. One of them might have cut themselves. So there was a lot of blood on the ground and just glass everywhere. And I was, it was scary because I didn't know if they were still in, in the place. And so <laughs> that, that was, it was nighttime when we got back. So that was the scariest thing, I think. Being robbed in the streets was fine. I, like, I felt like strangely safe and like everything was okay but that one time when they broke into our house I was like oh no they know where we live I don't know if they're in here right now I don't want to confront anyone so we kind of just waited outside called the cops and waited till they got there before we like searched the place and found out everything was gone. Chance I'm glad you're here I'm glad you survived to tell the tell did you share this information with your family back home or is this something you just kind of faltered? No 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 so well (laughs) <laughs> my my dad at the time he he probably would have chuckled and laughed he he would have said the same thing that you're saying that builds character <laughs> that's just the type of person my dad was but uh i didn't want to freak out my stepmom like i knew that probably would have you know made her a little uneasy so those are the, these are the kind of stories that i told just after i got home so once they knew i was okay and everything was good so wow did you did you get any um, cause I know sometimes people on their mission, they volunteer in hospitals or they kind of, um, volunteer in clinics or they do some healthcare activities. Were you able to do any of that in Argentina? Yeah, well, not, not so much volunteering in the hospital. We would go visit, um, people in the hospital a lot. 
uh, we also did, well, I think one of the main things that we did was teaching English classes each week. So, which is something I, I actually implemented when I got back home and at BYU, I started teaching an English class in Provo. So I got a lot of experience like organizing and like just practicing, like teaching English. Cause when you don't have a common ground language, it's, it's really hard and it, it takes a lot of practice and a lot of experience. So I think most of my volunteering was teaching English classes there in Argentina. And that really, like, I loved doing that because the people were just so grateful. They wanted to learn English for either their jobs or maybe they wanted to do like an online associate's degree somewhere in the States, but they had to take an English test. And so we would help them and, and, and teach English once a week. And we made these little flyers. I, I would I'd carry these little flyers that I, were homemade and I'd pass them out to just random people in the streets. And sometimes we'd have random people show up to our English classes. So, so that, was, that was a cool experience that I had volunteering there. Again, I'm just amazed. Uh, yeah, I, 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 you, you've gone through a lot. I, that's just amazing what happened in Argentina. Like after you got back off your mission, what kind of um, activities did you do? What kind of experience did you do? Like what, what you know, because you start pivoting towards your med school application. What, what, what were you doing at BOU? What was going on after you got back from your mission? Yeah, and I think... The, that is kind of what set me in my path to, okay, I'm for sure going to go into medicine. I for sure want to go to medical school. And I wanted to use the Spanish that I had learned there and that experience teaching English classes and just being with people and helping people in whatever way it was. I, I thought medicine, it was so, it was so rewarding that I was, I was, it was just a confirmation that, yeah, I want to go into medicine. And then uh, there were some things that happened right after I got home. So my dad was diagnosed with, with stage four colon cancer when I was gone. And th so that was about two months before I came home. And so I ended up finishing those last two months. And uh, that summer after I came home, I started back up at school, um, but my dad was really sick. Um, so he had, he had terminal cancer and he ended up dying four months after I got home. And so that, that experience was what really solidified um, my decision to go into medicine. And the, the, the types of things I started doing really had a lot to do with uh, the Spanish. So I started volunteering as a medical interpreter and I started taking some, some classes like Spanish translation and interpretation so just to get some training. And I, I would go in and volunteer at the Malihe Clinic here, um, which actually now I just found out that I'll be one of the new co-directors of the student-run clinic here at Malihe. So, so that's kind of carrying over into medical school too. So you get, I get to continue volunteering where I did in my undergrad. And um, also Conexiones. So that's, that's a volunteer program that, that I kind of helped form and, and start. I became the executive director after a while. And, and for about two and a half years at BYU, we would send, we had a lot of bilingual students that had served missions there at BYU. And I think most people know that here in Utah. And so these, they're really eager to volunteer. And so I saw that as an opportunity. There was a need for these, uh, English second language students in elementary and middle and high school. I worked at a high school and I, I, I knew that there was a lot of Spanish speaking students that, that had parents that maybe couldn't help them much at home because they're limited in their English. And so what we would do is we would send these volunteers, these student volunteers from BYU to the homes um, or to the schools to serve as like mentors or tutors for these students and help them with their homework or whatever questions they had and to kind of provide that resource of say, hey, if they're not understanding this, 
their homework in English and math. How are they going to do their math homework if they can't understand it and their parents can't help them? So uh, I started that program and then the English classes, I kind of built upon that and I started teaching an English class every week at BYU on campus. And we had parents and kids from, you know, Provo, Orem, all over um, like that local community there in Utah Valley would come to these classes and we built up a solid little group and it was a fun experience and just working with um, the the local Hispanic community here in Utah and using that the language skills that I developed and the other volunteers and taking those experiences from abroad and using them back home uh, to you know continue to have those rewarding volunteer experiences in the local community. Chance it's very beautiful and um, just a couple of things you talked about. I guess the first is, I, I'm sorry to hear about your dad. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm glad that you got to come home and that you got to see him before he passed. Um, yeah. Think, you know, like, as I've gone through life, I think it's important to, you know, say goodbye. And unfortunately, uh, a lot of times in our lives that people don't get to say goodbye because uh, of circumstances and the quickness and suddenness and random nature of this thing called life. So I'm glad that you got to say goodbye to him. And, and just from the limited knowledge I know, he sounds like he was like a fantastic example and a, a great person um, who raised a fantastic uh, son and family. So thank so you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, and then the second thing I wanted to say is too is, and you, you, you said it more be- beautifully than I could is I liked how you took your, your language skills um, and you came back and you um, used them, you um, improved the world around you, the community in, in Provo in Utah County in Salt Lake County. I liked how you did that. And that, that's a very, again, very beautiful thing that you did. Um, and did you think that was going to happen or did that just kind of happen? You, you know what I'm saying? Is that something you kind of planned in advance during your last uh, a bit of time in Argentina or did it just kind of happen after you got back to Utah? How, how did that kind of play out? Yeah. So it, it just kind of happened. I mean, I'm not a big planner. I think I, I can't plan more than like a week ahead. So I'm very much go with the flow. And so what happened is I got home from Argentina, everything was going on with my dad and that was a super hard time that first summer. So I was, I was in school. I was taking classes that summer term but I was only taking like one or two classes and they were just like general ed humanities classes. So I was hardly ever there. I was mostly at home in Vegas with my dad just because his condition was just getting a lot worse. It was deteriorating really quickly. Um, anybody who knows or has a family member has seen someone go through, you know, terminal stage cancer can, they know how hard that gets. And so I wanted to spend as much time with my dad as possible while it was still, like you said, like quality time so I could have that closure and, so I kind of took it one step at a time. And then, so when he passed in October, that was in the middle of a fall semester. So school was in full swing that fall semester. And uh, I, think, I think what got me into all this volunteering is I, I knew that I wanted to use, I didn't want to stop speaking Spanish. I didn't want to be one of those people who like, oh yeah, I, I went to Argentina and for two years, it was a really cool experience. And then kind of leave it at that. I wanted to continue to use that Spanish because I knew, okay, if I want to go into medicine, I think it'll be beneficial uh, for treating patients to you know, be able to do that in, in their first language. I think that's, I, I also had experiences in Argentina where I got sick and had to go to the hospital. And it's really scary when someone's telling you, in my case, I had ulcers that had developed in my stomach that uh, were from the, the water that I was drinking that I didn't know, but it, I guess it was 
poisoning me a little bit. And so it was kind of scary being in the hospital and then hearing that kind of news, like, hey, something's wrong with you, but like not fully understanding because, I mean, I was still pretty new and I didn't under have that much of a grip on the language yet. So that those were like my, my motivations. So I kind of just looked for ways to get involved. And so before th this program, Conexiones, so it was an existing program that I started just volunteering for. And they, they basically just did like, um, they would like parent-teacher conferences. They would send volunteers just to serve as like translators or interpreters for like the parents and the teachers that like there was two local elementary schools there that we would help out at. Um, but every, so I, I started just volunteering and then uh, I really loved that. I loved working with the kids and, and like in the school environment. Um, I started working at a high school for youth in custody. Um, so uh, they were either like in foster care or other at risk youth. And so I really liked working with that population. And uh, I really just wanted to, to grow that program. So after, after my dad passed, it was, me looking for ways to like forget about like how sad I was just by helping other people. And that really is what helped me cope. And um, the grieving process for me was, hey, instead of you know thinking about how sad that is or feeling bad for myself, let's go help other people because there are a lot of other people that have it a lot worse than you. And, and I feel like that's what my dad would have wanted. Like he wouldn't want me just to sit around and feel sorry for myself. So, so I kind of just tried to get outside of myself and, and serve. And so that's how I got involved with, with that and then started at Malihe and just using my Spanish to uh, volunteer. I knew, I knew that it was like killing two birds with one stone. I love volunteering and I love speaking Spanish and I loved uh, serving the Hispanic community. And I wanted to, you know, combine those two things and whatever uh, volunteer experience that I had just kind of revolved around uh, me speaking Spanish because it does open a lot of doors. Um, and they say speaking another language does open a lot of doors and there's a lot of good you can do um, with those language skills here at home. And I think a lot of people don't realize that because we kind of get, we, we get caught in our little bubbles and we don't realize, um, you know, what the people across the street from us are going through or what's going on in our local community. So kind of stepping outside of yourself and just trying to find a way to make a difference, you can, you can really do that. And that was my experience. Chance, that's beautiful. And I'm going to argue, I'm going to push back on you a little bit. I think you are secretly a planner and let me kind of ask you this question then with your planning skills. What was your strategy when you started applying to schools? Did you cast a wide net, a small net? How did you, lack a better term, how did you plan? Uh, like, okay. what, 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 did you, what did you kind of do? Okay, so the, the, it, was a, it was a learning curve. So at first I had to figure out what the MCAT was. Um, I didn't know what the MCAT was. <laughs> so, so I had a friend who told me, I was like, yeah, I think I want to go to medical school. I went and met with my pre-med advisor and he, he almost discouraged me a little bit from, you know, like, cause I really, I really didn't know what I was getting into yet. Um, and it was pretty obvious. I think to him, he's like, well, like, I think you could do it, but you might want to consider other things in case it doesn't work out. Like going to medical school, it's really competitive. It's really hard. Um, and so I think my strategy was casting a really wide net just because I wasn't confident at all that I would get in. I mean, uh, I, I figured out what the MCAT was. I took the MCAT and, you know, and I did, okay. I, I didn't, I, I wasn't like a, one of those people that got like a perfect score. And I knew a lot of people that were, you know, 99th percentile. And so that was kind of intimidating to me. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to see if I can get in anywhere and, and we'll see how it goes. And so that was kind of my strategy going into applying. So cast a wide net, look at different schools. Um, and I, I think, I'm pretty sure that you 
applied and interviewed at other schools besides the U. What, what was your experience yes. like? I mean, and then maybe just kind of loop this into like what we talked at the beginning, like, um, you know, you've played a lot of sports, you know, the big game, like, would you get butterflies in your stomach on your interview day? Was that similar to <laughs> the sports or yeah. was it a different sensation? Oh yeah. So also, so my first interview, um, I actually, I think I got food poisoning the night before because in the hotel where I was staying, I actually was up until about 4 a.m. vomiting in the bathroom. So I don't know if that was nerves <laughs> or, or if that was food poisoning, but I did wake up in on the bathroom floor in my own vomit before my first interview. So, and the interview was, that was like 4 a.m. I guess I had blacked out. I don't know what happened. Uh, I was in Reno, but I don't know. I guess that what happens in Reno stays in Reno too. But <laughs> that's like, that's your home state. That's your home court. Yeah, that was my home court. And I think that's why I got such an early interview there. And UNLV has a brand new med school too, that I got the interview at. And, and those are really positive experiences. And I think um, all my interviews, so I ended up interviewing at, at five schools. Um, I applied to, I think like 20. Um, uh, so those five interviews, they're all really positive experiences. I actually felt the worst about the U. I, my, my interview here at the University of Utah, I felt when I left, I was like, nah, there's no way. They'll, oh, they'll I'm like sorry. It. Oh. <laughs> there's, I know I, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily like it was a bad experience. Like it was a, it was a great experience, like the MMI, but I just think like, as from my personal perspective that I feel like I didn't put on my best face for the U. I feel like I didn't do well. And like, you kind of start to pick apart at yourself after an interview. You're like, oh man, I said that. And like, they probably thought that that was so dumb. And so you kind of start to like, there's a lot of self-doubt, I think, like post-interview. And then you have to wait so long to hear back. So I was like, I really, when I, when I got the call from you, it was the last call I was expecting to get. And it was the first one that I got. So that was, that was really exciting news. Yeah, I remember Chance. I remember when I called you, you were, you were so happy. So when I call people, um, you know, I, I do this out of, respect because I, I i recognize that so many people have worked so hard to get to this point um and i i think there is a fair amount of discouragement there's a fair amount of negativity and i, I one of my life mantras is just try to bring a little bit more positivity um i call it ray of sunshine especially okay. nowadays and so like people have different reactions when i've talked to them over time and maybe I should do a research study on this or something. But I remember when I talked to you, you were so happy. I think you were almost speechless if, if I recall correctly. So um, yeah. You, yeah. What were you doing? What was going on when I called you? <laughs> so, so, th so this is, so I ended up, I was waitlisted. So of those five schools that I interviewed at, I got on the waitlist at all five schools. So, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> so I was, I was a waitlist warrior. I was waiting and waiting and waiting and, Chance, you still there? I'm off for my birthday. Oh, you're uh off for my birthday is to get into medical school. And uh Can you start over, Chance? You cut out there for about twenty seconds. Okay. So, Can you hear me you, now? Yeah, the last thing we heard was waitlist warrior. Okay. Yeah, so I was waitlisted at all five schools. Um and so I I waited a long time to hear back and uh I think it was the first week of May that I got that call. And so this was post COVID. So COVID started what about a year ago in March yep. and I was, I was working for a high school. And so I was working part-time and then when the school shut down, I, I basically lost my job. Uh, so my wife and I, we just had a kid, we just had my kid in February. 
So he's a year old now, a little over a year old. So we just had a baby. We just lost our jobs. We were paying rent. And, and this was like a gap year for me. I'd already graduated. I was just working to save up some money and, and to apply and, and do the whole interview process. And we ended up moving back with my in-laws in Vegas. So we were living there because we had a brand new baby. You know, we just lost our jobs. We didn't want to be paying all this rent if we didn't have to be there for our jobs. So um, we were in Vegas. I was super stressed out. And what I started doing uh, that summer to kind of take my mind off things that spring and that summer is I just started running. Like I would just run longer and longer distances just because it would help take my mind off things. So it helped ease some of the anxiety. And so I had just gotten back, I think, that morning from a, like a 12 mile run. So I was pretty tired and I, I had jumped in. So we're with my in-laws and, and they have a pool in their backyard there in Vegas. Like I said, a lot of people have pools. And so I just had jumped in the pool to cool off. It was already, it was already like 90 degrees, 100 degrees in May in Vegas. So it was hot. And my wife was inside. And I think my wife was, my wife answered the phone and I had saved your number because I remember on interview day that I asked for your number so I could save it in my phone. <laughs> uh, my wife saw saw the caller ID. She knew it was. So she came out and she was basically jumping up and down like with excitement. And so I knew I was like, oh, it's got to be a med school. I, I didn't know who it was. And when she handed me the phone, I looked at it and it said, Dr. Chan. I was like, no way. And so you're right. I was speechless. I think I cried. I mean, I was just, I had no, I don't know. At that point, I was kind of starting to get like pessimistic. And I was like, you know what? Maybe like I won't get into med school. It's kind of a long shot. Um, I'll have to apply again. We'll see. Maybe I'll like retake the MCAT or do something cool to, you know, because I, I mean, being on the wait list can be really discouraging at times. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think you're right. I was just speechless. I was so in shock and I was like, no way I'm actually going to medical school. And, and it was a really big deal for me and, and for my wife and for our family. And because I mean, in my family, I'm the first one to go and, you know, to do something like this. So it's, it's a really cool experience. Yes, that's beautiful. I love talking to you about it. I love hearing your side and your perspective. Um, and it's just it almost bring, yeah, it brings a tear to my eye just to hear um, like your experience. And I guess like, like we're almost out of time chance, but I just wanted to ask a few more questions. Like, yeah. And again, we kind of alluded to it at the top of the hour, but like, what's it like to go to med school in a pandemic through zoo? I mean, uh, Again, I was telling you before we started, my heart goes out to you guys because I know how unique and difficult these circumstances are. What, what's it been like? like? How is that from your perspective? How is med school through Zoom most days? I know you guys get together for small groups, but most days, like, what's that like? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not what I expected it would be like. I feel like when you like picture medical school in your mind, like you're like, oh, this little, you'll be in your white coat all the time with your stethoscope and you'll be practicing on you know, patients all the time, and they'll be in the hospital. And I mean, I guess I was kind of naive. Like I said, I, I, I didn't really know any, I didn't have like any close friends or family members that had been through it. So I was kind of just going off of like, you know, fellow students that, you know, at BYU that were like, uh, what, you know, the new people that actually went to med school. So I, I, my picture in my mind was a lot different than the reality. It's been, I mean, being on Zoom, it's, it's great. It, it, it does take away from like the camaraderie. I feel like uh, it's hard to get to know a lot of our classmates and especially some of the upperclassmen, um, which I feel like that camaraderie is like usually there more than it has been this year. But overall, like the faculty has been awesome. Like every, every experience that we've had has been great. And being in person those few days really does help like form those relationships, feel that sense of camaraderie with our class and uh, to get to know them, you know, 
other than just seeing them on a little box on Zoom. Mm -hmm. So it's been unique. It's been it's been difficult from that perspective, but it also has been really rewarding and it's been a really good experience. I get to spend more time with my kid. Um, people tell you, oh, you go to medical school, you'll never see your kids, you'll forget their names. And, and maybe that'll happen later on <laughs> when I start like third year. But uh, this first year, I've been able to, you know, be home most days and, and spend more time with my kid and with my family. And, and that's been a really positive experience for me. That's beautiful, Chance. That's beautiful. Um, and I guess my last question is, is what advice do you give to someone who is a future applicant, current applicant who may or may not be on the wait list? What would you say? What words of wisdom? Do you have to share uh, when you kind of look back at your journey to this point? What would you say to them? I'd say believe in yourself. Um, I mean, it's easy for me to say, right? It's and I remember listening to this podcast actually a little bit that summer, um, kind of trying to ease my nerves. And hindsight's twenty twenty, and 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 some of you listening might be might be saying, well, that's easy for him to say. You know, he's already in medical school; he's already done it, so it's easy for him to say. But but believe in yourself. Um, it's really it's really easy to get like that imposter syndrome that that self-doubt and, and kind of you'll drive yourself crazy but just be confident in your abilities like if, you, if you're applying to medical school if you if you've already interviewed if you've gotten through that process you've done a lot you've worked really hard and and your experiences are valid like don't doubt your accomplishments or your achievements um just be confident in your abilities and everything you've already done up to, up to this point and just believe in yourself. Things will work out the way they're supposed to. Um, if you don't get in this time, try again next year. Um, if you have to retake the MCAT, study. Retake the MCAT. Um, I think I think believing in yourself is the most important thing. I I didn't. I never thought that I would actually become a doctor. I mean, growing up, I was like, that would be super cool. But you know, like I said, my dad worked in construction. I didn't know any doctors growing up. Um, I think, I think it's important to believe in yourself. And if you, if you would want to make it a reality, if you really want to make it, uh, do it. And I think it, I think it's up to you. And, and a lot of it seems like it's out of your control, but a lot of it actually is in your control. And so just focus on what's in, in your control and everything else. Just don't worry about that. And, and like I said, I'm a hypocrite for saying that now because a year ago I was, you know, that same person. I was, there's a lot of self-doubt. I was worrying about things that were out of my control. If I could go back, that's what I would do. I would stop worrying. I would do things that I enjoy, take my mind off of it and just be more confident and believe in myself and have faith that things are going to work out. Chance, I'm so glad you came on. I'm so glad I got to talk to you and just connect with you. Um, you know, just from my perspective, I try to be a medical educator. I know I'm in administration, but I, I do miss seeing all of you studying and throughout the med school and the health science education building and the classrooms. And I'm looking forward, you know, across my fingers to the day when we can all kind of be in the same place again. Um, but it's just good connecting with you and talking to you and just kind of hearing about your journey to this point. It, it's wonderful. So. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for, thanks for listening to my story and thanks for those out there who are also listening. All right. Well, we'll have to have you come back chance. Cause I'm curious to hear from you again as you know you progress through our curriculum and you know like i guess in three short years you're gonna have your own match day coming up so i think i think it's all very exciting it's beautiful uh to see how far yeah. you've come and where you're headed yeah it's crazy crazy to think how fast time just keeps going by all right well thanks chance thank you dr chan i appreciate it it was nice talking to you